0: if you're a ceo and you're doing things that are repetitive then then you're, you're probably not doing your job
1: that's the voice of antony matasic ceo of ocular therapeutics listen in now to hear my conversation with antony at ocular therapeutics headquarters in bedford massachusetts i'm john simboli you're listening to bioboss this morning i'm in bedford with antony Matasich, president and ceo of ocular therapeutics Antony, how did you find yourself here at Ocular Therapeutics?
0: Originally, I found myself actually here was I was I was looking for acquisitions for a company that I was working with, and I was looking for a uh, a, a delivery technology that could hold on to a monoclonal antibody because I'd built a fairly large biosimilars business in Europe, uh, and the goal was actually to start building biobatters, and there there aren't many things actually that'll hold on to a monoclonal antibody, and, and the hydrogel it was really just. Enamored me with how it was capable of pretty much holding on to anything. Either you can microencapsulate it, or it can sit sort of as as, as free drug, or if it's a large molecule, it just sort of sits in the meshwork of the of the hydrogel. Uh, so actually, my first interest is I wanted to buy the company. I mean, I knew that they were looking for a CEO because the the, the gentleman who had started up the company had a brilliant device background, but but had kind of grown beyond his his uh, his experience level. And the, the 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 original founder Amar, the, the, who was CEO at that point, after talking with him about you know potential acquisitions, he, he basically uh, convinced me that I should join rather than buy. And I was at a stage in my life where I was turning fifty, and uh, the water was warm where I was. I was running a multi billion dollar company with thousands of employees and a and a lot of inertia and a lot of momentum, and. Uh, um, yeah, it was one of those questions where you decide, hey, if I don't do it now, I'm probably never going to do it. So it was a uh, it was a bit of a leap into the unknown, and uh, it's something that that is that really makes you realize that the things you took for granted in life when you come to an environment like uh, like a fledgling biotech.
1: Was it one of those things where you you looked and you looked and you thought, ah, oh, finally I found this thing that fits this description what I'm thinking about doing, or was it? More like oh, here it is.
0: I had always had the understanding that i where I'd been where I was for in, in, in Mundi Pharma for thirteen years. And I was I was I was the CEO of the company, so I was kind of there there wasn't much left to do at, at Mundi Pharma, although you know, it was a dynamic business and we we'd built all sorts of different areas that, that, that we could grow. Um, but the thought of actually challenging myself, kind of coming to, to something that, that was entirely different and that had no momentum. Uh, was was intriguing, and and also the thought of potentially coming back to the to the U.S. was something that was that was also marginally attractive. Um, but the thing about Ocular that really kind of sealed the deal for me was that I I, I, I thought that I knew what was wrong. I, I thought that I I knew what what I could do with the company. What I didn't want to do was come to a company that had you know brilliant science. Um, that basically was a binary situation where either the science worked or it didn 't, and my job as the CEO was just sort of to sit under my desk in the fetal position, sucking my thumb, hoping the science worked, whereas ocular was something where hey you know I, I know what 's wrong and and I know the applications of the technology that I, I think i can I, I can leverage so it it just it felt more like I could actually make a difference here
1: once you made that decision. And you got it underway and you realized that it really could be what you hoped it will be. Did you go through that uh, experience I've heard from a couple of CEOs of, why didn't I do this before? Or was it more like, oh, this is the right thing at the right time?
0: I had such a rich experience before with, with money Pharma. I mean, when, I, when I first came there, we had one product uh, that was 200 million euro across Europe. When I left, we were about 1.5 billion and we had four different therapeutic areas and that was thrilling to be able to build a business like that from scratch because there was nothing there really. in, in when, when I when I when I got there, no, nothing in the areas that we grew in. So I, I wouldn't have wanted to not have that experience. What I didn't realize was how short my window was. That if I would have waited another couple of years, I don't know if I could have done it. And as I was mentioning earlier as well that when that when you have that switch where you you built a comfortable world for yourself and you're in your your early 50s and your kids are in college and and you you know you feel like you you you're on a a kind of a glide path to uh to, to a very comfortable retirement and you come into a company like ocular that had two crls and actually the second crl we got my my first week here uh there is that the, the terror, which you haven't experienced in, in years, and, and it, it seems to hit you about five o'clock in the morning. You kind of wake up and you're supposed to get an extra hour worth of sleep, but you can't because the mind starts racing. You think of all the things that can go wrong and you, you, start, you start to worry. And then as the day goes on, you have your coffee, you feel better, and then, then you feel excited. You feel energized. You, you think like, wow, this is, this, is, this is a thrill. But it's a roller coaster. And it takes a long time before you realize that, you know, how bad can things actually get? And then you also think about, my, my God, you know, little little improvements, little successes can can build huge opportunities in the future. So when, you, when you're selling nothing, you know, the chance of selling something is a lot. When, when you start out the year with a, with a billion and a half worth of sales and there's a price decrease in France and you have a $150 million hole just to, to start out the year before you can even grow 1%. It's a very different feeling.
1: How did you decide you wanted to lead a biopharma company?
0: Where I was in my career, it was sort of the next step. I mean, I, I, I was done with big pharma. I would spent the first, the first 13 years of my, of my career in big pharma, in, in BMS, Novartis, and, and Merck. Um, decided that that model felt kind of tired to me, so I joined a, a privately held uh, company. Large company, though, so that that was also a uh, a different experience and also a very rewarding one. But I didn't. I I knew I wasn't going back to big pharma. I I knew that I I I didn't want to be as removed from the business as I was with a with a with a, a multi billion dollar company. So the really the only pathway left, other than going back and getting my PhD and trying to be a professor, was was to run a biotech. And so that that was a it was a natural movement. And you know, in retrospect, it was absolutely the right one, but you don't know what you don't know before you jump into it and and part of it for me was also wanting to be in a publicly traded uh, or publicly listed company and Now I sort of think like well why why did I want that <laughs> because it is a it, it it's not an easy world and and i have learned a lot about you know, how to how does how to position the company, how to speak to investors. I mean, Ocular is a company that, first of all, shouldn't be named Ocular because our, our, our platform technology is, is usable in any part of the body. Uh, and to me, it's, it's, it just lights up my brain to think about how many opportunities we can have that are multi-billion dollar opportunities to use with our delivery technology. But you realize that you have such a small portion of, of the investment community's brain, and they see you as, a, as an opth- ophthalmology delivery technology company. So you need to deliver on that before you can play in any other space. And you, you can scream about the unfairness of the whole thing and you look at other companies that, that have, uh, I, I believe, inferior technologies that, that are uh, looking at these fabulous valuations because they happen to be in the right space and they happen to, to connect with, with a certain view of investors that, that puts them in a different category. So I, I've had to you know, frustratingly realize that I need to go a little slower than I thought I would have to go because you have, to, you have to deliver on the initial premise before you're allowed to, to, uh, to expand your value outside of that.
1: When you have a presentation and you deliver it and you explain what the company is about, what kinds of, you must be pleased when they say, oh yeah, now I understand. There must be other times when they say, oh yeah, here's what I think it is. And you're thinking to yourself, no, they didn't hear that. When they didn't hear that and you need to go back and, and say, no, this is actually what it is. What's that conversation like?
0: it 's a very difficult conversation because when they didn 't hear it they 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 really don 't want to listen to something different and and it's a, it 's a it's it, and that is the thing I did not anticipate coming to a, a publicly traded company was was the cacophony of voices that that are in the marketplace i mean before i was was in a privately held company and 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 we had a captive board, and that board could listen to days for anything if you if you really wanted to explain something you could ensure that that you had an audience that was going to listen to what it was you you were you were thinking about here you you have a very narrow window it's like you know kind of trying to 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 get a a golf ball in the hole and and if, if you've gone past the hole you can't move the hole you got you gotta you gotta take another stroke and that that makes it very difficult so what i've discovered you kind of need to do is, is you need to anticipate what they what they're expecting to hear and don't go too far afield from that. And there's a lot of things that, that we're working on and have potential for that we just don't talk about because when you do, it, it just blows the category. People think, well, no, you're, you're, you're a specialty pharma, you're in launch mode and and you're going to live or die off that launch. And the fact that you can work in gene therapies with your technology is something that just doesn't compute. So I, I've I've given up thinking that I can make somebody understand, and, and that it's all about delivery and making sure that you can execute on, on what they expect, and then you earn the right to be able to go somewhere else.
1: When people say, "Don't know you, Anthony," Anthony, what do you do for a living? What do you say?
0: Well, i mean, the top line. Is I work in a biotech company, but but you know, what do I actually do? And what is the job of a of a CEO? And I would say to this: like when when you're a CEO, you're 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 like at the bottom of a of a of a building that has sort of faulty flooring. And and there are the floors above are, are designed to actually hold the occupants of the of the of that building. Um, but things fall through. They fall from one floor to another and they fall all, all the way down sometimes to the basement. Uh, you're sitting there in the basement very often, you see something fall into the basement and, and you think like there's a there's a problem with a floor somewhere above. So you gotta go where that thing has fallen. You look above and you find out where that hole is. And then you fix the hole. If if you're a CEO and you're doing things that are repetitive, then, then you're, you're probably not doing your job. But your job is, is to design a building, to design an organization that is capable of doing the things that, that, that it needs to do and that things don't fall to the ground. And that's what you know, biotech is frightening because you come in, you come in and things are falling all over the place. So it's not you, you can't thoughtfully fix those holes. And you very often don't have the cash to be able to fix them in, in the way you want. So, so you do a lot of duct taping, and and once you do, the, the the machine runs for a while, but it inevitably breaks down, and and that's that's where I think I add the most value. The the rest of it is is really just talking to investors and and trying to to give the story of the company. So you spend a lot of time being a storyteller to to people who who are um, hopefully going to invest in your company and give you the. The resources to be able to fix the holes but you got to do both if you're not fixing the holes and you're getting and you're you're you're, you're giving a story to the investors and then, then it's disingenuous because you're you're not building a machine that's actually going to uh going to do what it needs to do and unfortunately i think in the environment a lot of people don't care if the machine is actually going to produce in the end they just want to make it look good enough to be, able to be uh to, to be sold on and that's the end game whereas I've always had the sense that if if in the end it doesn't matter, if it doesn't, if you're not building a product that, that will make a difference, then, then you're, you're sort of running a scam and, you know, maybe we get taken out before we can do that, but, but that's not the goal and that's not the understanding. And, and we won't sort of make shortcuts to, to try and make ourselves look better for, for a potential sort of acquisition rather than, than actually building something that's, that's differentiated in the market.
1: On the one hand, I think it's quite accurate based on my experience working with CEOs that, that there's a whack-a-mole aspect to part of the job, fix it, fix it. There's also one hopes at some point the opportunity to have the vision, I think you were starting to describe, of I could design a building where this would still happen, but it wouldn't happen very frequently. Is yeah. that a fair analogy, the, the vision part of it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's that's the in the classic sense. All, all you need to do as a CEO is you need to make sure the company's headed in the right direction, and you need to make sure that that the, you have the right people in the right places, and that there there's resources available for the for the machine to run. You do those three things, it it you, you have a company that that's successful. That's a lot easier said than done because you think you've done it, and that's when the the you know the, the stuff starts falling on the basement floor, but but. The, the the goal is, and certainly, and it's one of the things I, I realized in in I think in retrospect, almost what I what I would have done had been in taking over the company is rebrand it, because it is it we, we essentially we had to rebuild it from, in, from inside. of the, the top ten executives, eight of them are new. We we had to totally revamp our our production facilities in order to to be able to get our our, our uh, uh, the approval of our lead drug. I mean, it was essentially an entire rebuild effort, but from the outside, it says, well, you've been, you know, Ocular's been at this for 10 years, and it's been a, it's been a series of, of sort of disappointments for the first uh, you know, eight or nine of those years. And it's very hard then to explain, it's like, well, we have actually have a whole new team, and it's the same you know, basic technology, but what we've done with it and how we build it and how we develop it is, it is completely different. So that you don't, you have people have long memories when it when it hurts you, and they have short memories when it hurts you, and it depends on 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 what uh, what they what they're reacting to when they, they they decide to either tar you with the brush of of the distant past, or or basically say that they don't have any experience with you as a as a new management team. Um, but but it's it, it, it's I said it's been it's been a great learning experience, and I think I said if I had it to do over again, you know, there may be some adjustments that we would we would do, but being in the position where we are now it's 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 fantastic how much has gone right to be here and to put us in a position to finally sort of demonstrate that we we the machine we've built is actually going to produce something of value
1: what have you learned over the years in any previous jobs and and probably especially here about what your management style is what works for you i think anybody who works with me would say
0: you know anthony's management style is that he's desperately trying to find the the best person for the job uh i, I said to set up the organization i set up the structure the way I, I, I believe it should be set up but if you don't people it properly then then it's simply not going to function and part of, of putting the right people in the right places means that you got to give them the freedom to be able to to perform their jobs and i'm very much what i see then as an obstacle remover so i put the right person in the right job and say look if you need my help i'm here but otherwise i'm not and that that is that can be frustrating to people when they sort of say well you know they they want constant feedback they they want uh um, they want direction i think at the level that i'm at and the people who i hire in should be able to make sort of clarity out of out of ambiguity and they should they should be energized by that and and that that is if you find the right people and you have the right structure that works brilliantly If the structure is unclear and you choose the wrong people it's a disaster so that that's why i spend most of my energy making sure i have the right people in the right places and once i have that i let go with the proviso that we're all headed in the same direction so we have we have a we have a unified strategy and, and and an understanding of where the company's headed we have a structure that doesn't have overlaps And we have the right people in the right places and they're they're given enough autonomy to do the to do their jobs because if i'm so absolutely passionate about having the right person in the right place if i don't give them the accountability and the freedom to do what they need to do how do i know if i have the right person in the right place and and that was one of the things that that is it was most jarring i think about taking over ocular the, the previous gentleman was always the smartest guy in the room and i'm my goal is to never be the smartest guy in the room, and I'm actually pretty successful at that in general. Um, but because he was always the smartest guy in the room and he was the original entrepreneur who started the company, it was very much a, a sort of a hub-and-spoke kind of management, that you you went to him to solve your problems. And as long as you got his agreement on something, you had the autonomy to do it, regardless of whether it was the right thing to do or whether it was your job to do. And I come in, and I'm completely the opposite, which is I I... I I, I don't want people to come back to me unless they have to and and I, I will only make decisions that I'm the only one who can make that decision and there' are actually very few decisions that only the CEO can make so if if it's something about what do we you know what names do we put on the meeting rooms or what are we you know what, what what kind of coffee maker do we have it's remarkable how many people feel that well because they're the CEO they they, they should make the best decision in those circumstances and I, I'm I believe very disciplined to say, well, am I the best person to make this decision? And isn't it, it, would it not be better for the person closest to that responsibility to make that decision? So the the company was in a bit of shock when you have somebody that that is you know, willing to to and, and willing and able and 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 uh, um, very sort of almost aggressive about making sure that they had a, they they had a, a hand in every decision that was made to somebody who really doesn't want to be involved in those things because they, they, they believe that you have the, uh, the, they put the right person in that place to make the, those decisions. doesn't mean I won't talk with them and I don't, I don't give people my counsel, but the people should feel that sense of responsibility and accountability. And that that's where I think people get energized that, that makes people want to come to work in the morning in the morning and want to make a difference.
1: I wish I could remember, but there was a CEO I read about, not someone I talked to, but someone I read about who said, I'm the rim and spoke. People can come out to me and touch me if they need to, but otherwise is that similar?
0: Yeah. I mean I think my my values it, the, the large thing, if if we have the right direction, we have the right people in the right places and the right resources, then then my job is to remove obstacles. If if people I have we have, know what they're doing, and they, and they, I said we're we're headed in the right direction. Then then and they run into a problem that they can't get past. That's where I provide my greatest value. So I guess it's it's the same kind of analogy of being in the basement of the building. But but that that kind of leadership is 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 the only way I can survive. I mean I, I'm I think I've been around long enough, uh, unfortunately, to probably know enough to get myself into trouble in certain areas. So I do question, and people people we have our, our meetings and discussions a lot of like, are you sure you want to do it that way? Or I've seen it happen this way. But in the end, I think, and I think everybody who works with me would say that I'm very disciplined about saying if it's their decision to make, then they make it. And I'm happy to to, to sort of voice my, my concerns and, and uh, um, you know, consternation that they're making that decision, but, but I respect their right to make it.
1: And that takes courage because sometimes they're gonna be wrong because human beings are sometimes wrong.
0: Right right and that and that's that's you know how you react to that to that failure is culturally one of the most important things you can do if if you're if, if you react too strongly then i would say it's like getting a cat out of a tree that you can make all these nice motions about what kind of culture you want and the cat can slowly move out of the tree but then one short sharp quick violent movement the cat's up there forever so you really need to know how you respond to these things and 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 what the cultural impact of that response is.
1: Can you remember when you were eight or nine having any kind of self-image about what you wanted to be when you were a grown-up?
0: Yeah, I've been asked that question not only about eight or nine, but but also because I've had kids who's, who have just recently sort of gone through university uh, about what I want, what I thought about my future at at various times, and. And I have a pretty good memory of the things I thought as a child, and certainly as a as a as a young adult. And you know, maybe it was the time, or maybe it was you know the environment that I grew up in. But I never thought about what my future was going to be like. I, I never had even as a uh, you know, when I was in graduating uh, my undergraduate, I, I didn't, I had no concept of of where I thought I wanted to go. I sort of assumed at that point that I was going to go into academia and be a professor because I was. In the humanities, and and uh, the area that I was studying in was fairly esoteric, and and there wasn't much application outside of an academic environment. And of course, here I am in biopharma. So so it's uh, I wound up in a very very different space due to lack of planning. And and I think actually that's that's what I look for a lot of times in people. Like a lot of times people will, will say that well I didn't like the person because they didn't have much ambition or much understanding of where where they were headed. And I guess. Because a lot of times you try and look for yourself in people, which you shouldn't do, but, but that's what you wind up doing. I always sort of distrust people who, who kind of know where they want to go because I feel like they're not going to focus on what they're doing right now. And my entire career has been something where I just, I've kind of gotten fascinated about the stuff that I was doing and didn't think about where I was going. And you know, it's turned out to be a career of sorts, but but it it, it is. It, it, I, there's something about throwing yourself into that moment, and I and I really have sur- searched my brain many times to try and think about what did I think I wanted to be, and and I, I just I can't I can't come up with a single moment where I thought, yeah, that that that's what I want to do, and it turned out I, fe- I fell into something that that I thoroughly enjoy, and I I kept when I first got into the industry, <clears throat> it was. Basically, I was, I was always going to go back and get my PhD. I was just going to make a little bit of money in the meantime. And after about 10 years, I realized I'm not going back to get my PhD. <laughs> and I realized I, I would be I'd be a terrible academic. I'm actually much better working in teams and much better understanding. And I realized, I, I, I guess I do have some understanding about, about how a business functions and about how to execute against against a goal. So I fell into something that suited me. I think perfectly, but, but I, I had no, there was no planning of forethought. But you, you go for it and say, follow your bliss is, is sort of the trite way to put it. But, but there's another way to say, well, what are you good at that gives you energy? And running a team, you know, doing something together with a group of people, you know, I, I think I'm good at, but it gives me a ton of energy. When you feel like you're making progress with a team, and that, that's exciting. And that, that's where it's like, okay, that, that you can't do as an academic, whereas, whereas where I thought I was probably going to go, you spend a lot of time alone in the library doing things that, 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 are, that are essentially uh, reflect only on you and make very little difference in the world in the end, unless if you, you write some seminal work in, in, uh, in, in academia, which I doubt I would have been able to do.
1: What's new at Ocular Therapeutics? Um, well,
0: what's new is we, we've, uh, we've got our first drug approved and we're launching it. So we're, we're a, a commercial entity, um, but the goal of the company is, is, is to leverage our, our, our delivery technology in, in any place where, where it can deliver a superior therapeutic. And the broad strokes, what, what we are is we, 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 we open up therapeutic windows because we don't use the blood to, to move, to move uh, therapeutics around the body. And we're not a delivery technology. Uh, we're actually a superior therapeutics company because if you if you can deliver a drug locally, then then you actually can open up the potential of that drug. Take take a, you know the 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 uh, inhaled uh, um, corticosteroids and uh, um, and labas. You, know, you try and treat asthma through the blood. Uh, you have you cause more harm than 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 you get benefit. When you deliver it locally in the lungs, then then you open up these these same Uh, molecules become life-saving medications. Uh, The eye is very very similar to that because you wouldn't want to treat the whole body to treat the eye and that's why we have these bizarre things and eye drops which are unbelievably inefficient and and, uh, people don't use them, they hate them, they they, very often use them incorrectly. So the company started where it makes sense, which is in which is in the eye, because we're delivering delivering drugs locally in the eye makes makes a lot of sense. And we figured out different ways to use our technology to deliver drugs in the eye. Um, but if you can formulate for the eye, you can formulate anywhere in the body. You can use you can use eye drops in your nose or, or in your in any other part of the body. But if you try and use things formulated in other parts of the body for your eye, it, it, it's actually you're going to notice that there's a that there's a problem.
1: So, so that, to me, that is a telling, clear description of why, it's, why Acura Therapeutics is not simply a delivery company and the, the local aspect of what you're talking about makes it into a therapeutics company. When you say that to potential investors and they don't quite understand, what do they hear when you say that to them?
0: Well, they hear that you're going to spend a lot of money and, and it's, uh, you're going to do a big raise, so I better short you. So it, it is uh, you know that we we don't sort of talk to investors actively about that now. We 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 have a, a sort of a, a vague notion that's like okay you know there there are applications in pain and inflammation and in ENT and and in uh, in, in pain, um, There's also potentials in in uh, you know, delivering of of gene therapies and antisense technologies. But we just, we we, we soft pedal that. We realize that, that what's new about Ocular, or in people's minds, what's new about Ocular, is is we are a, a biotech company that that's launching its own product into the U.S. market, and there is a uh, there's a long history of, or not a long, a fairly recent history of a lot of failures of of these biotech companies launching their own products in the space. Uh, and we are we, we're we're under that sort of microscope now where we have, you know, we've been <coughs> selling since July 15 and people are, are falling over everything we say about this launch because we have a massive short position, which is sort of expecting us to fail. We have some believers uh, sitting in, in, a, in a, a long environment where they're, they're, they're you know, expecting us to be able to, to kind of turn this around. And we realize that's what we're going to be judged on. So that's what we talk about. We talk about what it's going to take to be successful in the space. I mean, my background's commercial, so I wouldn't launch a drug that I didn't think had a great opportunity to be able to, to be successful. I think a lot of these failures are caused because you have people who've never been through that commercial process before. They're great scientists that think that great science is going to be rewarded simply because it exists. And I, I understand, I think, pretty deeply about what it takes to change behavior and and it's it's not easy even even if it's obviously a better thing, and there are obvious advantages to the patient and, and from the payer side, there there, there there advantages. You still need to actually change behavior, and nobody's staying awake at night to help you sell your drug unless unless you're paying them to do it. So that's what's new. But but underneath that, we're we're moving everything along in in a, uh, in, in, a in a nice sort of. Uh, um, deliberate fashion so we have two phase one programs that that are finishing up their first cohorts that that are that are industry changing i mean they're they're paradigm shifting in 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 their their potential to uh to change one is injections into the back of the eye for what amd the other is the treatment of glaucoma Um, and deeper behind that we we have we have a number of formulations that that are are ready to go into the clinic that that both inside and outside of the eye that that will deliver superior therapeutics because that's is that we're not a delivery company we're a company that 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 creates superior therapeutics sometimes with it with existing molecules in a 505 b2 but that there's no there's no reason why we have to stick with 505 b2 and we're not there 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 are programs that we have that, that are working with novel mechanisms of action and new molecules but we soft pedal those because we realize it's about it's about our launch And it's about proving that we can be successful in launching a product where so many other
1: biotech companies have failed. For that percentage, presumably relatively small, who hears what you just said to me and says, ah, this, this has potential to be quite a bit more than I thought it might have been. Do they in turn then say, yeah, but you're a small company. How can you take on all these things? And if you get that question, how do you answer it? Uh, because we are a delivery technology
0: company, we don't bear the, the, the risk of, of new molecule creation. And that's really where the big money is. So we can actually very inexpensively and easily formulate almost anything to go anywhere in the body. And we can bring it up to IND for $2, 3000000 million. I mean, the, 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 the ability for us to get to an IND is actually very, very easy. Uh, getting into larger clinical trials—that's different. So what we can do, and what the what the model is—we have we we have actually two models of, of of how we're we're creating value. One is that we we have a, a direct front of the eye business in the U.S., which actually we see as I see as opportunistic. That that's not really part of our strategy. It's just that that market is so concentrated, and we have such a, a nice gross margin in a, in a very unusual space that it makes sense for us. To do it ourselves. We can actually capture more value that way. But we are a platform company that I see really as, as developing more, you know, along the lines of a Halzyme type type company, where, where we actually we, 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 we can add to the pipeline, we get things through proof of concept, and then we outlicense them globally. So somebody else carries the burden of the phase, you know, later phase two, phase three uh, programs and commercialization. We get an upfront downstream royalty and then we go back and do more one thing that's very makes us very unusual is that we have a hundred ideas of what we can do and and probably 95 of them will work the problem is we lack the the resources and capacity to be able to to bring them all through so what what i'd rather do rather than hold on to something for a long time have it burn a lot of resources and then you know hopefully make a billion dollars in the future i'd rather get them off the deck early and then sort of license them out, get, get, some, get some upfronts, and then plow it back into new, to, to, to new uh, technologies. And that's, that's also very difficult for investors to understand from a biotech company, because usually you have two or three assets that are either around a certain receptor or, or molecule type. And if you, if you don't handle those three appropriately, then you're, you're impairing the value of the company. With us, it, it's it's very very different because we can add so easily to our pipeline, and and it's not like we're going into new areas that we don't understand because we're formulators. We know how to formulate molecules. If one happens to be used for inflammation, another happens to be used in, 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 in ophthalmics. One is used for pain. Another is you know fits in the intraperitoneal space. That that's actually something that the downstream companies can do. So we the formulation of a product, regardless of where it is, is the same bit of work.
1: That strategy would would make sense to me. Now, obviously I'm not an investor, but I'm thinking it's a it's a hard it without that we're we're taking in partners to, to do it you, I can imagine you'd be up against the folks who say yeah i want to I want to talk to a company that has a I know this phrase I hear frequently a pipeline in a molecule. I just want this right. simple, right."
0: Right, and so for the you know the majority of people who trade, and the thing is, there there are investors. I think our core investors understand the the, the what we're trying to build, but the the, uh, the the trading investors. So where we are at the moment, it it it's all Texenza. It's you know, we we are we are a biotech company launching our own product with less than a year's worth of cash. There are people who are on one side of that bet, and there are people who are on the other side of that bet, and that that's what sort of which way I realize when I go out, that's what people want to hear about, so that's what we tell them about.
1: Anthony, why did Acura Therapeutics choose to locate in Bedford, Massachusetts?
0: Well, we, we do all of our own formulation and manufacturing, so we need space. And this is as close as you can get to the, uh, the, the, the Kendall Square kind of environment um, and get sufficient space that doesn't cost an arm and a leg. So this is, this is sort of in the sphere, but, but still with, with reasonable rents.
1: So let's talk about the sphere a little bit, the, the Boston, Kendall Square, Cambridge, Bedford, Greater Boston. Which organizations do you find yourself, either you or your staff, being involved with it, that, where you can help to get your story out and, and also learn about what other folks are doing? I have
0: to say, we, we're, I'm disappointed with the connection that we've had to, 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 to the real innovation that's going on with, within the, the sort of the biotech sphere. I mean we're actually our device our, our heritage is a device heritage uh, and as a device company you think very very different than a biopharma company and coming in here one one of the goals was to sort of reconnect with with a uh, not reconnect to to connect for the first time with with the biopharma world i mean the big dreams of what we can use our technology for are are aren't limited to 505b2 and to the, to the environments where our, late, our later stage pipeline is. We, we, are, we, we can hold on to a gene vector. Um, if you can co-locate a gene vector to the, to the cells that you really want to transduct for long enough, you're likely to have a greater, a greater efficacy and lower, lower inflammation potential. Um, we can hold on to, uh, uh, to antisense technologies. We, we, can, we can ensure that they're delivered over a longer period of time in a more specific location. Because if, if you're starting to, to change uh, gene expression, you don't want that ubiquitously in the body. You really want that local. So that, that's where the value that we, we see ourselves bringing in the future. And, and we've had discussions with, uh, with, with, with companies in the space. But because we, we really got to get the wolf you know away from the door with Extenza, we really focus our, our, ourselves on, on that, our resources on that primarily. <clears throat> but that's also proof of concept. That as we, uh, we, we, we develop that and we have a collaboration with regeneron for example with, with a, a, a with ILEA, with a VEGF trap that that also starts building credibility and that we can hold on to proteins and we, we can deliver them where, where, where they need to be delivered but but we do need to connect more directly with that with that world
1: so f- the shorthand for that world in, in this area I think for a lot of companies is mass bio is MassBio are there connections to be made where a device company that's actually a therapeutic company can can be heard, or is it too much oriented towards the molecule side? of
0: No, I mean I, I think it's. Yeah, I, I first part of my my uh, first fifteen years of my life, I was I was in a molecule company, and, and, and I understand how molecule companies think. And then it was essentially in a molecule slash delivery company, in, in, in the privately held company that I, that I was at, and delivery companies think. Think very differently. And that's why it's it's very important for us to position ourselves not as a delivery company, but as a superior therapeutics company, because uh, the example of the of the the uh, the labas and and the icss for for uh, delivery for in, into the lungs. If you deliver them differently, you actually have a different therapeutic. And molecule companies just think that well, delivery is easy, and molecules are the difficult bit, and. If there's something you don't like about what the molecule is doing, you don't think about changing the delivery that could, that could reopen the window. You think about changing the molecule, which is unbelievably expensive and takes a huge amount of time and, and actually can, can destroy a company if they, if they have to sort of head the, wrong, the different direction. So getting in people's minds, getting in molecule people's minds about, now how do I deliver a superior therapeutic, uh, which is a combination between molecule and delivery, is, uh, it, it is, a, is a paradigm that's really hard to shift to, to, to get over with, uh, with molecule companies. And, and that's where we need to, to have continuing dialogues with, with, uh, with the, the sort of the, the molecule originators. And, and, and we are. We're getting in some really nice discussions with, with, with companies who are starting to understand that. Um, but the problem is when you go back to resource allocation, you think, do I put this money behind a new molecule or do I put it behind a delivery technology? even though the delivery technology will deliver a superior therapeutic in a shorter period of time with, with less money, you still wind up thinking, well, I, I really want to throw the Hail Mary with, uh, with, with, uh, with the molecule. And, that, and that's a learning process where, where having success in the marketplace is the way to answer that. And I think, thankfully, we, we've, got some, we've got some things that in relatively short order will demonstrate that, that it actually changing the delivery makes a different therapeutic, regardless of what the molecule is.
1: When you want to go have a conversation with people who are like-minded, are there, are there places you go? Are there organizations that you're a member of? Are there CEOs that you call up or are they, they tend to be around the partner kinds of discussions you were just describing to me? Yeah, I mean, usually molecule companies
0: focus themselves around therapeutic areas. So those conversations are really easy to have in ophthalmology and we're, we're in a number of those discussions in, in ophthalmology. But getting into a new therapeutic area uh, because companies, as I said, they, 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 don't, they, they don't organize themselves by, by thinking of, of uh, um, delivery technology or not. They, 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 they say, well, if you have a, a pain division, what is that pain division looking at and what are the problems they're experiencing with their molecules? So getting into those discussions outside of ophthalmology is difficult because we, we, we haven't been able to establish a beachhead as a, as a company that, that, can, that can deliver solutions in that, in that therapeutic area.
1: Anthony, thanks for speaking with me today.
0: Well, thanks for coming to talk with me. I really appreciate it.
1: During my BioBoss interviews with founders and CEOs, I'm always interested to hear their origin story, how each person became the leader of a biopharma company. For some, it's a clearly marked path leading in a straight line from a youthful fascination with science to a leadership role in biopharma. For others, there's a realization they have a calling, a strong pull toward a profession they had not anticipated. When I heard Anthony talking about his journey from humanities student to CEO, I thought of the saying, follow your bliss. Anthony took that a step further by adding, what are you good at that gives you energy? Where your fascination with what you're doing means you throw yourself into the moment. For Antony, the answer is clear. His energy comes from directing teams who make progress together. Like many of the other leaders I've spoken with, he couldn't be happier with his choice. I'm John Simbole. You're listening to Bioboss.